Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're good. Now, before we rip into this episode, I just want to make a call out to any brands, companies, organizations that would be interested in working with me in sponsoring or supporting the Gig Life Podcast. If you have something that you'd like to promote or sell that will reach hundreds of unique people per week, thousands per month through this podcast, please hit me up. If you know somebody, point them my way. Send me an email on thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com or get in touch via my socials. Um, alternatively, if you dig it, you can donate or leave a tip for the Gig Life Podcast. Click on the link in the show notes or go to thegiglifepodcast.com. Okay, this is episode 111. Dan Kirby, here we go. My guest today is Dan Kirby. DK is a session drummer and educator based in Melbourne, Australia. Dan currently plays drums for some of Australia's most iconic acts, including Bliss and SO, 28 Days, Behind Crimson Eyes, Esoteric, and most recently, San Diego punk rock legends, Unwritten Law. Dan is the owner and operator of one of Melbourne's premium drum schools, DK Drums Academy. He works for Monster, and he also co-hosts a drumming travel show called Drum Life with his friend Frank Zumo, drummer for Canadian rockers Sum 41. So let's rip in. In the words of DK, it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Dan Kirby. think we're rolling now happy valentine's day and uh, welcome to the gig life podcast dan kirby how you going dk mate fantastic happy valentine's day to you and mate what a way to kick it off yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> looking at a couple of good looking fellas i don't know about yeah. me but <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's going on man um yeah you're in the middle of this this sort of snap five day lockdown in melbourne yeah at the moment so yep. um uh, did that has that affected you too much? Well, not, not nah, not so much, mate. Um, I was teaching. I was meant to teach yesterday. I just ended up doing a couple of online sessions. And Tuesdays, I have all online students, so I'll just kind of carry on as per usual. Um, just gives me a chance to uh, work on some stuff that I've been needing to do. To be honest, so like five days for me is not too bad. Um, yeah, it sucks for a lot of businesses and, and whatnot, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, but yeah, it's for me, mate. It's it's five days. I'm just coming in 
to my studio and just going for it all day. It's great. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't that's mind awesome. it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, let's 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 talk about the first major lockdown and and COVID and um, mm-hmm. what what you had in the pipeline. Did you have sort of tours lined up or? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I play drums for Bliss and So uh, as a session guy, so they've got music ready to go and and really uh, tours and whatnot ready to go. Um, but obviously that's not happening quite at the moment, the tour side of things. So that's kind of been pushed aside. Um, that show that I sent you, the Drum Life show with Frank Zumo, mm. we were meant to be releasing that this year uh, through a drum company um, and we are supposed to have a whole bunch more episodes done in 2020. Um, but obviously we couldn't do that because a travelling drum show is not happening in 2020, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, a couple of things happened there, um, but that's okay, mate. You know, we're, we're pushing forward with that show and, and we're ho- hoping that we'll, um, be able to do more of that over the next couple of years. But if not, mate, we'll just get creative and do bloody, you know, something different. Whatever. Oh, yeah, mate, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> yeah, it out. Yeah. There's always something, something cool to do. So that's cool. That, that's I, and yeah, and the Bliss and SO stuff, I, I mean, that will happen when it can, so you know, um, you guys, go. you guys did end up. You you played, um, you played a shop in Darwin, I think, in yeah. December. Yeah, we yeah, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Darwin obviously had no restrictions at that point, um, and really the stars aligned because I think as a Victorian, I only made it into their border by like a week, maybe, because Melbourne was a hot spot for, for the Northern Territory for months and months and months, even when we were open and everything was going well. Um, you know, but the border, uh, you know, it was fine by the time I got there, maybe, maybe a week before it, it kind of unlocked and it was sweet. So I flew to Sydney to practice with Bliss and Esso. Then we flew to Darwin, played a gig up there. It was a great gig festival out kind of by the water there. Um, and it was just, it was cool, man, because it was the first gig we'd done in ages and there was no restrictions, a few thousand people just going crazy. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And then mm. you have to come back and lock it down again. <laughs> It's oh. kind of like the dangling little carrots and you, <laughs> you have a bite and they take it away from you again. I know, yeah. I know. But, mate, I've been yeah. talking to um, the guys, you know, Frank Zuma and stuff from the drum show and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pretty grim over in the States at the minute. There's no nothing like yeah. that going on over there. So, like, at least here we're kind of tinkering on the edge of things happening, um, you know, and we've got some of those outdoor concerts like the Sydney Music My Bowls got little booths now. Um, so there's still things happening. I've got a gig with 28 days in April at the ESPY in Melbourne, which is yep. uh, capacities like, I think it's normally 800, but it's capped at 250. So it's, it's starting. That's still pretty. Yeah. That's a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool crowd. I mean, you, you can imagine those 250 people, they're going to be all in. They're, they're all in mate. And I guarantee they're not all socially in. distancing. They're just bloody up the front <laughs> yeah. going for it. So that's right. You know, it's good. Like people are trying to get it going here uh, as best they can. Um, so it's cool. It's cool. We're pretty lucky. Yeah, that is cool. We'll, we'll talk more about the drum life thing with Frank Zumo a little bit later, and yeah, um, you know, and maybe some more detail into you know Bliss and Esso and Twenty Eight Days and and mm-hmm. some of the other stuff that you're playing with. Um, all right. I thought what we might do now is roll it right back. To the beginning, how it all began. Yeah, little 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 DK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, your your I know your father was a drummer. Yes, he was. Yes. Um, yep. 
and uh, I'm not sure about the rest of your family. I mean, you've got um, you got two brothers. I've got one brother. I've got one brother. What one, one, one brother? Okay. It would be very easy um, for someone to think that I have more brothers because I call all of my friends brother. So I, I often <laughs> that's, that's see a, people at the. I know what you mean too, because yeah, yeah, being a New Zealand. Being a New Zealander, everyone's my bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, yeah, I'll yeah. go to the gym and I'll post up great workout with my brother, and then I'll, you know, I'll see someone that <laughs> kind of knows me, and they'll be like, "Geez, your brother's muscly." Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. no, it's, it's not my brother. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got one brother. He plays guitar um, okay. and, and sings a little bit, and um, uh, he's a principal at the minute. He's he's just okay. became become a principal. Uh, but yeah, my dad was a drum teacher, a drummer. He he um, taught drums for a good 40, 50 years. Like he, he taught drums from maybe his 20s to pretty much he 69. Like he passed away a couple of years ago. He's teaching all the way up to then. So, yeah, the drum teaching, oh, well, drumming's just, you know, it, it was a natural thing for me because I just grew up around him. He was just playing gigs and I'd go to his sound checks. I'd see him playing drums out in the shed. We we lived in Ballarat, rural, rural Victoria, Um he had a big shed out the back and his kit was in there. So I always had a kit to play. Uh, it was an old Sona. I've still got it actually. Um, yeah, cool. and, and I really want to um, and do that up a little bit because I think it would be nice to just kind of do that up. But, yeah, he never really yeah. took care of his gear. He had this epic Sona kit and nice symbols and stuff, but it was just like they just throw it in the trailer, no cases. It would all be banged up. Yeah, right. and he, just, <laughs> he always said he liked um, it was all about the sound of the drums, not how they looked. So he was all yeah. about that. And that used to used to give me the shits, mate, because I used to want to play. When I started playing gigs, I'd play his kit and I'd pull it into gigs and it would look like shit, but it wouldn't sound nice, um, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, isn't the main thing, I guess. But, um, yeah, mate, so I started when I was literally two, three years old just banging on banging on his drums and he kind of just um, guided me along the way, which yeah, I was lucky he, to have. Your, your dad, he started off as a singer too, didn't he? Yeah, he was a singer, yeah. How yeah. do you know that? Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a Jedi. I'm a Jedi. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, he started off as a singer. Uh, that's yeah. incredible that you know that. I Like, that's well done. First and foremost, well done. That's impressive research. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, he was a singer. Uh, and then he yeah. uh, was a drummer. And then he w- would sing and play the drums. Um, and then, like, he... You know, he was in a local band in Ballarat, which were really good. But then he um, he played on TV. He played on Channel Nine. Um, it was like a Saturday night show on. on I, I guess the networks had smaller um, kind of community networks back then. He was on like the Ballarat Channel Nine network. You know, they had their own kind of local stations back then, as opposed to big national ones. They probably had both. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, locally he was on TV every Saturday night with Daryl Summers, who used to host um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey Hey Saturday, yeah. So that was yeah. pretty – I mean, that was a pretty sick gig for him to have. Yeah. Yeah. So what um, – do, do you remember some of the first stuff that he that – he, well, so first and foremost, was he there to teach you drums or was it like, all right, son, there's my drums, just go and have a bang around? And when uh, you're ready – yeah. A little bit of both, a little bit of like just hold it like this. You know, he would yep. kind of just let me go but then just guide me. If I was doing anything horrifically wrong, he'd he'd step in or he'd show me things actually. He'd show me things. Every time I'd see him from when I was two to when I was 30, he would show me something, you know. He'd be like, right. oh, I've got this cool beat or have a look at this or see if you can play this, like just stuff that he was working on, which was which was pretty cool. 
you know, or he'd show me, um, you know, nice drum work from from drummers or, you know, he he loved arranging songs in his later years. So he would just sit in his study and listen to name, like any song that he was into and he would just pull it apart and arrange it for his bands to play. So he would do all the guitar parts, the piano parts, the vocal parts, um, you know, chart it all out. And that's literally all he did. He just, he just loved that stuff. And he'd just show me like Mm. cool chords and cool chord structures and things like that. He's very talented musician, more so probably better overall musician than a drummer. You know, he was kind of broad across being a a good musician. Yeah. As opposed to just a drummer, just, which was cool. Who were some of the, who were the, some of the early drummers that he introduced you to or, or that or some of his favourite drummers? Yeah, like your Dave Weckles, your Steve Gads. Like he loved Steve Gadd. Uh, he kind of loved Steve. You know, Steve Gadd's really kind of tasteful and articulate with his playing and really clean. He loved a lot of that stuff. So I grew up playing a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, Dave Garibaldi. I remember his, his drum course just had these names that would appear in it, you know, um, Steve yep. Gadd ideas, Dave Weckl ideas, Dave Weckl Phil, yep. you know. So yep. a and lot the, of that. The Dave, kind of the, stuff. Dave Garib- the Dave Garibaldi stuff that would have been all the linear, linear yeah, drumming. Linear drumming yeah, linear drumming. Yeah, so sick. Future sound, future sounds, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. love that stuff. Got that book around here somewhere. Anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that, which was yep. which was cool because it wasn't stuff that I really listened to, you know, um, as a kid. But uh, in terms of drumming, I kind of knew a lot of it just from the sheets he would give me to work on. Yep, yep. Mm. So who was who were some of the drummers or the the types of music that um, that was catching your ear that you were starting to listen to around that time? Well, yeah, I didn't really pay attention to to music and 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 bands really until I was in year seven. Like all through primary school, I was I would just play the drums because I like drums, and I would just work through his course, and I would just try to see how far I could get pretty much. I'd, I'd like the drums. I'd just sit in there. I never, I, I knew that drums were in bands and stuff, but I didn't really think about, didn't really think about it too much. I just played. And then, yeah, when I got to high school, I met some cool kids that were into punk rock and then um, started kind of putting together bands and stuff. So I've kind of gone off track with that question. I think the, no, the first funny. bands that yeah the first bands that I got into were like um, Blink One Eighty Two, mm-hmm. um, Nirvana. We played a little bit of Hey Joe from um, Jimi Hendrix. So I was just kind of starting to figure out that drums were in this type of music, and that drum part is an achievable drum part for me to play. I can potentially play that with my friends, and then I started li- diving more into bands and stuff from there. Mm. Yeah. Does oh, that make sense? Kind of yeah, thing? man, to- yeah. totally. Yep, yeah, 100%. 100%. And let's talk about some of the some of your early bands then. And, um, uh, well, for a start, do you remember your first ever paid gig? Oh. Yeah, well, I kind of roughly do. Uh, it was a high school band and we would, we would play at a pub locally. So we were probably 15. Um, mm. As dodgy as dodgy as like we would, yeah. we were fifteen years old. We would go down to this pub on Sundays. He'd give this pub owner would give us this Sunday session, and and we would like bring a hundred kids down there, and it was like yeah, sixteen right. year olds getting lit, vomiting and stuff. And we were like <laughs> playing gigs, but we'd get like you know one hundred and fifty bucks or something like that for the whole band. Um, 
then we did some a lot of underage gigs back then in regional Victoria. I don't know if it still really occurs that much, but there was like Freezer and there was there was some really good underage venues in Ballarat. Um, it was all kind of punk rock music, and we'd we'd play. I don't even know if we'd get paid though, to be honest. Um, it wasn't really until I was probably like twenty that my band actually would pull numbers to proper venues. Like you might get two hundred people; it's ten bucks a ticket. And you'd walk out of the gig and go, shit, we've got two grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, that yeah. Wasn't, wasn't really until, it was, yeah, not much money until then. Mm. Still isn't that much money to be honest, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> how, how far into, into that did you have the realisation that you wanted to do music for a living? You wanted to make yeah. money and Mm. Or, 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 or did that kind of come later? Did you end up getting into some other type of career and then yep. dropping, dropping back into music? Yeah. I, I knew from when I was 12. Yep. I knew from when I was 12. I, I saw um, Blink-182, Body Jar and Motor Race at Broadlaver Arena, caught a bus there. My dad took me to the bus stop, me and my best mate, and my brother went down. Um, first real concert just like blew my mind like because i was i was that was the first band i was really into and i was just listening to them i thought none of my friends really listened to them it was just me and the boys in the band and i kind of just thought it was like this little niche niche little thing that we were into and then catching a bus to melbourne going to an arena and there's fifteen thousand people just like you that have been listening to this band it was an eye open i was like holy shit this is big this is something there's and you're looking at all the other kids what they're wearing there's heaps of cooler kids than you they've got all the merch and shit sitting you're like fuck this is like a this is massive and then and then you know watching the band player the lights the huge sound travis barker just going ape shit on the drums it was just like holy shit this is this is insane and i was like i want to do that and then i kind of that was kind of when i put it all together that drums everything that i'd done as a kid for fun can be this crazy, right. cool, energetic, fun. It can be massive. People love it. That's that was that was pretty much it. What what era of Blink One Eighty Two was that? Was that around but, in, 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 enema of the state? Yeah, era enema, or a little bit enema yeah. of the state. Okay, yeah, so I, that, I just yeah. gotten into them in my band. We were covering all the small things. That was one of the first songs we ever played. Um. And I guess at that point, I, I wasn't really into any drummers in particular. I'd never really saw, like, I, I knew those cool drummers and you see cool drum solos and stuff, but there was never really anyone as a kid that I saw that I was like, wow, that guy's awesome and he's cool and he he's just so entertaining to watch. And that that's when I kind of fell in love with drumming and, and like, Travis Barker and and that kind of style of drumming, you know, that, that was, he was the mm. first guy that I saw. I was like, holy shit, this is, this is something else. It's not just sitting there playing. Like he's, he's like working out behind the drum kit as yeah. well. Big yeah. You, 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 would have, show. you would have seen his, the videos of his warm up, say his backstage warm ups. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> that's something yeah. else. That's, that's high endurance. That's aerobic, man. He's like, oh. He's going hard. He's amazing, yeah. incredible. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. He's, he's 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 unreal. So, mate, that that was when I saw that, and I was like, fire out! I I want to be doing this. Yeah. So, what was the next step? Then you leave that concert. Yeah. So the next moment. Step, yeah. yeah, I mean, the next step was 
we took our band very seriously. It was me and the singer. We were like kids. We were 12. We took it very, very seriously. We'd practice all the time. My dad would come in and teach us song structure, um, how arrangements work. Like, you know, you've got a bass player, you've got a rhythm guitarist, you need a good lead guitarist. This is how the instruments work together. You know, we, we, we worked really hard at that. Local gigs, trying to play with bigger, you know, bigger bands, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, we just, we literally did that from when we were 12 to like 2021. I did it with the same guy. And as we progressed, we'd get new members in because members would be, you know, like, we, we were like sack members, bro. We, we were teenagers. We took it so seriously. We were like, <laughs> no, nah, he's not up to scratch. Sack him. We would sack him and get like, like dude, a savage. We dead, bro, we were dead set. We were savage. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, and then I'd go and see other bands. When I became more of a teenager as, as just a kid, you know, we'd go to festival hall and watch bands. And, and I remember, you know, Australian bands would support. I think I saw Blink there years later and Gyroscope was supporting. I remember I might have been 15 or 16 just watching that at Festival Hall, being from the country still and just going, shit, how do you, how do you get from being a band at high school when no one comes to your gig to playing on a stage like that? Like what's the process? Like what's the in-between steps that you got to take to kind of to make that happen? I remember being baffled by it because it seemed so far-fetched at that point. Mm. Um, mate, and then it was just a continuous grind w- with that band. We would do local gigs in Ballarat and, and we'd always pull good numbers and it was, we'd just get our mates down there and put on a bit of a show, but we'd always get a couple of hundred people down there. And then we started getting good and then we started playing with some of the bands that were touring, like the Triple J bands. They would We would often get put on the gig because, um, you know, if they needed to sell another hundred tickets, they just get the local band that brings 100, 150 people. So we'd, we'd end up getting a lot of gigs that way and then mingling with the bigger bands um, and seeing how they do it and learning how they do it. You know, oh, they got a booking agent. Oh, fuck, who's the booking agent? Okay, who do they book? Oh, they book these bands. Oh, shit, maybe we need a booking agent. How good would it be if we had that? Oh, we've got to record an EP. Oh, who's the good producer? And then you'd look up those bands, who they work with, and then you'd book in with them and then you'd, you know, you'd, we did an EP with a guy called Cal Tonyma who did like Body Jar and 28 Days, um, those kind of bands at the time, and then you'd pick up some knowledge from him. He taught me how to use Pro Tools. So it's just bit by bit by bit by bit by bit, and then that eventually got me into Behind Crimson Eyes because my local band was supporting Behind Crimson Eyes and they didn't have a drummer. I wrote to their booking agent and said, um, who's playing drums? And he's like, we don't know yet. I said, but I'll do it. And, and I'd already done a drum video because I remember getting frustrated because I felt like I was drumming pretty well, but um, we just weren't really getting anywhere. And I was like, nah. So I put together this cool drum video, uh, hideout studio, and I, I played like hip-hop, reggae, and like marching drums. And I was not necessarily great at any of them, but it was a pretty cool video. I literally spent a couple of months working on it i stole some chops from aaron spears and kind of just learned how to do them as best i could because yeah, i was yeah. like because i was like Fuck, if i put that in there the drummer's gonna be like shit that's not bad for a 20 year old kid so anyway i had that video done i sent that off to bce and, and that's kind of how i got that gig pretty is much that, is that video on youtube yeah it is it's um i reckon if you if you looked up dan kirby 
Dan Kirby, Perfect Reason was the name of my band. Maybe it would pop up. Or Dan Kirby, Behind Crimson Eyes, it would pop up. Let me have a look. It was, it was, I mean, oh, yeah, Dan Kirby, Perfect Reason. It's the first one that pops up. Drum solo at Studio One. Okay. Studio One's where we recorded our first EP with Cal Tonyama. And I think Joe Camilleri or some, some, someone cool used to own it. And now I think Chris Cheney from The Living End owns it. Let's just have a listen. Can you, can you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Get those symbols up high, eh? Right yeah. up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I'll put a link to the rest of that in the show notes. So people can check that yeah, out. Absolutely. Yeah. Starts starts getting good at that bit. Okay. We'll, we'll make people go and watch it. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. I mean, that's you know, you can tell by the audio quality and stuff. It's pretty old. Um. Uh. But yeah, that kind of was the first drum video I ever did. And, mate, I wish I kept doing them because no one was really doing them back then. There was, like, mm. not m- not much of it online, really. Yeah. I was talking to – I had Stan Bicknell on the show um, during the week. And yep. we were talking about his um, – some of the, the first uh, drum cover videos he did. Yep. And, you know, he was doing it at around a time where – I mean, I mean, you look at it now. There's mm. th- thousands of them and the, yeah. the algorithms get – yeah, so full on that you you don't kind of get the get that sort of coverage, you know. But um, mm. yeah, I think back in that time, it wasn't. You're right, it wasn't getting done that much. It wasn't. It was like yeah. I think, man, like Aaron Spears had done one for um, Asha. That was like a clip that kind of made its way around the net. Um, yep. There wasn't really much going on, like cover wise. I don't even yep. know if anything was going on. You know, that was kind of a concept that came a bit later. But anyway, yeah, it was. It was. You know. It's just doing something. The cool thing about that was I, I, you know, I did that for no particular reason. I just did it to kind of showcase my playing, and then it led to me getting gigs. So it's like proactive always wins. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. when did you start taking a bit of a leadership role in the in the bands that you were like? Were you were you kind of band leader type thing? I'm just trying to work towards. Yeah, you know, yeah, how definitely. You've, how you've got your confidence and your drive and your your you know your business savvy. I'm trying to work yeah, up yeah, to yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, there there was myself and the singer from my first band. We were the two ones that would drive it, and we'd just bounce off each other. We had a great great friendship and a great partnership, and we both kind of vibrated on the same frequencies and had the same visions. And um, you know that that's a ma- that was a massive massive part of my development, and I think that's. Um, having someone else like that is probably one of the most important things you can have because if it's just you, it would drive you mental or mm. or, or I'd have to just do my own thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I really need to kind of um, be on the same wave as someone uh, in one, one of the band, at least one person in each band to, to really push it, you know, because there's yep. different levels of um, – Commitment and work ethic and just drive and what everyone wants. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things about being in a, in a band I've found just totally. throughout life is just yep. finding members that are on the same page. 
Um, yep. Yeah. And, and so, the, yeah, and the other yeah. the other thing is to I understand what you're saying there. You you know you find one other person that's on on your level on your bandwidth, but the other part of that too is the the other guys they need to respect that. Hmm. I mean, and it's cool to kind of be on those tiers, but understand where your spot is in the band and be cool with that. Yeah. And that'll give you longevity. But if you're if you're the guy down down here fighting against the guys that are having the ideas at the top, but I man, it's yeah. dead in the water, eh? As I've seen it so many times in bands. Oh, that I've yeah. In. yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard, man. A lot of people have yeah. problems with band members and stuff. I'm lucky now, everyone in the bands I'm in is cool. And like twenty eight days, for example, are just uh, a bunch of mates. That's twenty eight days yeah. is a bunch of mates who just play music and, and they're yep. really good. Um, and that's why they're all still the same members because they're just cool. There's no um, no one really. There's no one with the ego or anything really in that case. Everyone. That's an interesting one because everyone kind of just plays their part and everyone's kind of driving that. Um, but yeah, in the in the earlier band stuff, it was definitely myself and the singer. We were we were yep. going hard at that. And now he's like a very successful gym owner. He owns a franchise of gyms and stuff. And um, you know, it was interesting. Interesting for me to, um, and I had that relationship with him with the music, and then watch him go off, change lanes into a different industry, but keep the same yeah. energy and, and thought process and whatnot, and and drive and and be successful in a different field. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. It all starts with that energy and um, drive. Yeah. I think that's a massive part of it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so mm. you've, you've made that you've made that video and you've you've sent it off. You know you you um. You notice that there's not a drum spot for is it Crimson Eyes? Is that the, yeah behind, behind Crimson yeah, Eyes? Yeah, behind Crimson Crimson Eyes. So um, yep. right, so you send the video off. Yep. What happens then? Do they they call you back? And said yeah, man, we, we want yeah. you in. So so basically, what they were doing at that point in time, they were playing shows in New South Wales and shows in Victoria, and they were doing like residencies. They were doing these kind of uh, pretty weird now, but they were doing like you know, a week in New South Wales, a week in Vic, a week in New South Wales, a week in Vic, or something like that. And um, uh, they had a guy in New South Wales that was doing the New South Wales stuff and then I was going to do the Victorian stuff. Um, and I re- was a big fan actually of their drummer before he left. He was probably my favourite drummer in Australia at that point in time. Um, his name was Cam Gilmore and I, I actually saw Behind Crimson Eyes. I, I went and watched them when they came to my town. Uh, and I was blown away by their drummer. Uh, and the reason I was blown away back then was as simple as, A, what he was playing was really, really cool. Like he was he was fast, he was intricate, it was different, it was quite complicated. Two, he was super energetic and very showman. You know, he, he was a great showman. And three, like back then, like he was playing to a click, there was triggers going off. It was a full-on pro show. It was just a step up from kind of where I was at with my band at the time. Um, and I just remember being extremely impressed by that. Like he was – because I didn't play to a click till I was a bit older, till I was probably 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Then I started realising that these guys that were freak players were doing it to a click at the same time and holding the band together. And I was like, holy shit, that's a whole nother couple of levels of um, difficulty there. But anyway, so he, so he left. Um, yeah, sent them the video and – and they basically liked it. They sent me a whole bunch of songs to learn, two different albums. I learned their newest stuff uh, first and their newer album, I didn't really know it at the time, but it was their easier album. It was a rock album. So I was learning the songs. I had like a week to learn them, learning the rock songs, just going, oh, this is easy. Like 
maybe maybe he that can guy wasn't as crazy good as I I thought he was. <laughs> you know, his drum parts. But then I got yeah. to the album before that, which was right. called A Revelation for Despair, and it was insane. The drum parts. I was like, oh my god, how am I going to learn these in a few days? This is ridiculous. Um, and the reason it was ridiculous, like the verses and the choruses, they weren't really uh, repetitive loops. They were verse one was its own kind of beat, then there was a different beat in the chorus, and then verse two was different to verse one. The second right. bit, like it was all kind of just like it wasn't really repetitive, um, which is, you know, important when you've got to learn songs fast. So, yeah, mm. man, it was hard. It was bloody hard. I, I remember sitting, I hired out a room to practice, and I just remember sitting in there, like with my hands on my head like this at one point, just going, oh, I'm stuffed here. <laughs> I've, I've I'm done. It. What have I done? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've cooked it. But anyway, I ended up kind of getting it and and then it led to me joining the band. Yeah, that's cool. Was it super yeah. – like you were talking about how the verse 1, verse 2, verse 1, verse 2 were, were different. Mm-hmm. Did it matter that much to the – like did you – when you got – when you um, learnt the stuff and, and went back to rehearsal or whatever, was it picked on if you – if you missed any of the stuff that the the other guy played or were uh, they kind of cool for you to do your little take on it? Uh, not really. I wouldn't say it was picked on, but mm. I, I did go over it a lot and, and I yeah. pretty much went in and played it. There was okay. maybe a couple of things, a couple of little fills and stuff that I just didn't naturally different to their old drummer. But for the most mm. part, all the, mo- the important stuff, the accents and, and making sure, you know, the kicks following the bass parts or whatever it may be. <laughs> I made sure I covered all of that stuff really well, um, and then it, it wasn't really it wasn't really picked. I, don't, <clears throat> I was super intimidated going to practice. Yeah. We actually practiced here. I'm at Kindred Studios, which is where my drum school's at. Um, we practiced a couple of rooms down, and I remember just shitting my pants basically be- before I rocked up to practice. But everyone was cool, and and it was also a shock because they were so good as well. Like I remember specifically the bass player Garth. Like I he was so good at bass like he was the first bass player kind of where i could feel the bass like it was it wasn't kind of something sitting in the background it was like in your face and and he was punching the rhythms hard with my kick and stuff i was like jesus christ (laughs) keep up boy (laughs) yeah wow so so they were like better than me really at that point you know i I felt like they were better musicians so made me get better big that was probably one of the biggest leaps i ever had as a drummer was was going from the local band into that band that the jump of um the playing and the skill level and the professionalism and, and how tight it has to be it, there was a, that was a big jump there it was probably the biggest one i've ever had so the the school band how did that end did, did had that already dissolved and then you went looking for this Behind Crimson Eyes, Crimson. Hang on, let me say. Fuck. Behind Every Crimson Eyes, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> it's just the crim, crimson, 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 crimson. There you go. Yeah. Um. So that kind of we all lived together. So so we we went from okay. high school band, me and the singer, moved through different few, kind of different members throughout different times, ended up in Melbourne, living together in a house. We got a cool. The guy, bass player, to come in. We had a, a great guitarist come in. So we ended up kind of with a really good lineup. Um, but at that time, the singer was kind of talking about changing careers and going into fitness. And I was looking at doing Behind Crimson Eyes. So there was that a kind of at the same time, oh, yep. the two main guys kind of went went their different okay. ways. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty much 
pretty much what happened, really. Uh, yep. But it both worked out for us, and we're still best mates. So it's, it yeah, wasn't like a it wasn't a weird thing. It was it was it was actually it was that felt like a bit of a weird thing um, right. at the time, you know. But it was perfect. It worked out perfectly for, for both of us. Cool. So I'm going to call it BCE now because it's easier to say than behind crim- crimson. Oh yeah, BCE. Do BCE. BCE. Easy. Can we can we go with that? You cool with it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So um, BCE. How how mm-hmm. Long did you do that for, and and what was, what was next after that? How did that sort of yep. end? What 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 was the next opportunity? So BCE, I see it's an interesting one because I joined that band kind of on the it was really the tail end of them, kind of going for it. Um, they were okay. with Roadrunner Records when I joined. Um, they just lost their deal with Roadrunner. I think um, the singer was a bit over it. Josh, we kind of did a few tours. After that, around Oz, um, and it kind of we just kind of didn't really do much for a while, um, for years actually. We, and then, more, kind of only a couple of years ago, we did uh, a tour with Alexis on Fire, and we played Unified. We do gigs here and there, but we never really went full ham again. Um, just because everyone kind of grew up a little bit and things changed, I guess you know, um, yep. which was. Uh, very disappointing for me, to be honest. Like okay, I, I, right. I, I came into that band and um, thought that was it. This ready. is the one. Oh, mate, I left uni. I was like, I'm, I'm going oh, for shit. it. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's time to go. Um, but you know, a couple of members are always keen to go, and then some harder to kind of get back into it. Um, but I did that for a couple of years, I, I guess, and then. Um, 28 Days had their drummer, you know, the drumming position become available for that. And I'd played with 28 Days with Behind Crimson Eyes. We did a tour together. So they invited me into that, which was cool. That's cool. I've been, yeah, I've been with them ever since. Um, That's cool. Well, let's just, let's just go back. You said you, um, you finished up uni there. So let's, let's talk about school and, and uh, what you did at uni and, and what was your, what was your major or what were you, yeah, what were you aiming on. for there? Yeah. What were you working on? Yeah. Yeah. So mate, I was, studying town planning at RMIT University in Melbourne. So I did pretty well in year 12, um, took a year off. I think I worked and then got into uni, you know, when I was 20 or 19. Um, I did two and a half years of town planning. And the deal was my parents would pay for my rent in Melbourne if I went to uni. But I was living with my band, my Ballarat band. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to uni. I'll just kind of like pass it i get I, so you I weren't can, that you weren't that keen on it obviously it not like really that. man i just no, not, yeah. not at all like my dad was yep. just, just like you know town planners get paid well there's lots of jobs in it it'd be a good job you should do yep. town planning i was like i just wanted to play drums really but i didn't Sweet. really think it was an option um yep. so yeah i kind of did that and then it just kind of fizzled just i just i wasn't putting the work in man like by, by the time you get okay. to third year at town planning the, the assignments are like, okay, we want you to design um, RMIT's new building, right? And the night, the night before, I'd sketch up this shocking, shocking, <laughs> like an A4 shocking bit, bit of, bit of um, architecture work by me. And then I, I got to class and, like, people had, like, those massive books and they've yeah. done 3D. The drawings of the- <laughs> they've done, like, all this crazy shit and I just yeah. had a crap bit of A4 paper and, you yeah. know, I think the writing was on the wall when I rocked up yeah. to that class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um. All right. So, school's done. Uni's done. Well, what about what about job? What about um jobs in between jobs? There. What what other work? Yeah. Were you good, doing to good, sort of pay good, bills good. and first first job was in a um, juice bar in Ballarat. Mm-hmm. Um. Then I started. I worked at Telstra for a year in the call center. I, and I did that to save up to buy a drum kit. Oh, you were, you're one of them. You're one of them. Oh, uh, nah, I wasn't on the actually. I wasn't on the phones. I was I was okay. adding in um, people's details to get their ADSL internet installed. <laughs> That's what right. Um, right. It was easy though. But anyway, I saved right. up and bought a nice drum kit. That was basically yeah. the reason I did it. Yeah. And then after that, I worked retail for years, which was cool. That was fun. Uh, and then I worked in a bar in St Kilda, which was fun. And then I uh, started working for Monster. I, I, I joined their um, ambassador team, which was like the funnest job ever. You just drive around in a big truck and give yeah. cans to people and drop drop stuff off cases away, yeah. to athletes and stuff. Yeah, and, and then yeah. I, I work full time for Monster now. I've been there for ten years as a yeah, right. Oh, you're still there now. Fantastic. Still there, cool. Yeah, still there now. Yeah. So they they've been cool um, throughout the whole thing. You know, they've had big. Big support for me, really. Um, I was going to say, I'm just thinking yeah. now, looking back at some of the videos I've seen over the last mm. week, and those monster signs there, and mm. and um, like even some of those trucks and well, those yeah. the trucks in the in the um, are we allowed to talk about? Yeah, this yeah, one? yeah, the super, the super yeah, yeah. Episode. yeah, yeah, yeah. Monster. That's, the, that's episode mean, three. Yeah, monster su- like supported that episode. Um, yeah. So an, an example of kind of like how I work with them. So I look after Victoria, basically myself and another guy. Um, we look after our distributor, Coca-Cola. So it's a full-on job. So so we're working with yeah. them every day. But Monster have always said to me, um, you know, you, you're a big part of the brand. You are the brand. Um, they wow. look at me as like the brand guy down here. And they just right. fully support me. They they put me on all of their events. I'm, I always, I generally always play drums at the events. So like the UFC, um, the Supercross, V8s, whatever the event is, if the big monster setups there, you'll generally see me playing drums there. Um, wow. So they're really cool like that. They've always let me go on tour. They've always let me teach drums and, and kind of not got in the way of, of that. You know, some employees would be – wouldn't really want you running your own business on the side like that. That takes yeah, up so much yeah. time. They've always been cool. They've like at that Supercross gig with the Zumo show. Um, mm. You know, I had to chase up budget to pay for some of that stuff because those those drum risers that you see, yeah, are super expensive to hire, oh, and um, so expensive, man. Like a lot. Um, so Monster paid for mine, you know, because I was like, shit, I really. You know, because initially, yeah, if we went. We can talk about that show now, or we can talk about it later. But we will. Yeah, yeah we'll short, talk. Yeah. Mon- Mon- yeah. 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 We'll, so, talk, we'll get more um, more into the detail of it later. But yeah, I, I just, yeah. we're just on the monster thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So so they've been cool, man. I've done heaps with them. Heaps of fun. Fun company. You know, it, it works well with my brand and and the bands I'm in. Like I'm on brand for that brand. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Congratulations. That's mm. cool, man. Yeah. yeah. That that kind of. Yeah, that's starting to make sense of all the the different things that you've got going on. That's that's cool. It's yeah. a good link, cool link. Okay, um, yeah. so that's left uni. You've told me about the jobs. Um, mm-hmm. Twenty eight days now. Let's yep. let's talk about that that run yep. or the start of that run, and then how things sort of built from that. Yep. 
Yeah, so 28 Days, um, I specifically remember getting asked to join the band. The guitarist, Hep, was at the bar I was working at. He used to frequent that. And uh, he invited me to play drums for the guys, and I accepted, as you would. Um, Massive fan of 28 Days. I grew up listening to 28 Days, probably my favourite Australian band, like as I was growing up. Um, I have a memory of I, I used to tape Rage when I was a kid, and they had a song called Goodbye which was super catchy and uh, I specifically remember taping that. Rage would always put like five good songs together or the genre that I liked. You know, it'd be Blink-182, 28 Days, Body Jar, um, you know, bands like that. And I specifically remember I taped it and listened to that song and I ran out and got my dad and said, you've got to listen to this chorus. This is the sickest chorus ever. It's real simple, but I specifically remember that. Um that moment, what's the, yeah, what's so the name? I, Sorry, Dan, Dan, what's the name of that song? It's called Goodbye. A oh, Goodbye, yeah, okay. Can we goodbye, have a little, yeah. have a little yeah, bit of a listen to that? Yeah. Oh, it's a belter. So you've shown you've shown Dad this. Yeah, when, when it hits the chorus, it's just um, it's it's a it's a great chorus. And as as their drummer now, looking at the chorus, this is one of my favourite songs to play with them. And and arrangement wise, it's sick. Um, the drumming, each chorus has a different drum beat, which is just cool because that doesn't really happen that much. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that was a big move jump jumping into them because they were really you know quite a successful band and uh, a well-known band around Australia. Um, and I've been with them ever since and we're still playing and we're still doing great shows and, um, you know, they've, they're a rare band that has longevity and we haven't even really, we haven't released anything since I've been in the band. So we're literally playing <laughs> that the two albums, well, there's three albums that everyone kind of loved from the early 2000s they still hit home now. We're, we're like we've been able to play gigs for twenty years off the same songs, which is that's that's te- pretty awesome. You haven't got that Mate. pressure of haven't got that pressure of, of having to, nah. you know, write and release something, and then that extra pressure too of of that album not being as good as the last one, and people not liking it, and then you lose fans and thinking yep. just yeah, that's great. That's what a great yeah. scenario that is. It, it is, it is, man. They're um. They were so, I mean, they are so good, but the albums they wrote back then were so good and so su- successful. One of them went gold before it even was released. It was yeah, it went right. gold It went gold on pre-sales. pre-sales, so the, yeah, wow. It was, it was insane. They were a massive band. And um, I guess given the size that they were and, and just their catalogue was strong, it's just given them longevity to keep playing. Um which is all them. Obviously, I wasn't in the band back then, so it's not nothing to do with me. It's, it's all credit to them just being good songwriters and a good band. But, mate, it's crazy. We're still rocking good shows. We're getting put on good festivals, and we haven't released anything properly since 2001 or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there's, there's no no talk of any new stuff? I mean, we talk about it a little bit. I, I would like to personally, I would like to do 
an EP or an album with them. One, I would yeah. like to have my name on something and yeah. just make it awesome. Of course. Uh, and that's the same with Behind Crimson Eyes. We've been talking about that. I'd like to do one album with them or EP or something and just make it sick, like just do the coolest shit um, across the board that we can do and, and not even worry about recreating it live or anything. Just make a sick studio album and just yeah. drop the mic and whatever. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, who cares? Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, yep, 28 days. What's let, – let's – um. can we talk about how Bliss and Esso sort of yep. came in, into the picture and, and, and how you how you got into that scene? Yep. Yeah, sure. So I guess, um, you know, 28 days, we're a band that just kind of play when we, we get an offer and we don't really push that hard. We're not writing new albums or anything like that. So that's – that kind of is, is what it is. And I'm lucky to be in that band and, and in that situation – um, but I was younger, I was 27 when I joined Bliss and S, I was their drummer. Uh, and at that point, I was just hungry. I was hungry. I was, I was playing gigs with a DJ, doing all the Monster Energy gigs. Mm. Uh, behind Crimson Eyes wasn't doing anything. I was in 28 Days, but we were just doing gigs here and there. So I was really hungry to get, get onto something else because I, I just wanted to go. Yep. Um, and I knew Bliss from Bliss and S, so through a friend of mine, we'd had a couple of beers one night um, and I had some drum videos in, that I'd done prior to that that we showed him on the night and I could see his mind ticking over Yeah, because um, they were good. They were really good drum videos. Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, they started kind of playing with the band. They had a band from New Zealand. So Bliss's cousin is the keyboard player. And Bliss's cousin's wife is the singer. So they're like these incredible musicians from uh, New Zealand. And they had a drummer um, that they knew from New Zealand that came over and, and did the first kind of band gig with Bliss and Esso. Bliss and Esso did the big day out, um, oh, 2013 maybe. Uh, and they had Darren from Shapeshifter. He was yeah. their drummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they kind of started playing with the drummer and then, Darren from Shapeshifter obviously had Shapeshifter in it, and the next run of shows that Bliss and Esso had, he couldn't do because he was in Shapeshifter and that was yeah. his priority. Yeah. So then the position be- became vacant, I guess, and, and I was in Bliss's mind. And, um, yeah, he hit me up and basically said, uh, I want you to learn these songs. So before that I had two things going, right? I had that I had a, my friend called me and he's like, I think Bliss and Esso, I think Bliss is going to call you there's something coming. And I was like, ah, I've heard this before. It's, you know, <laughs> you know what it's like. Ah, it's, fuck, it'd be awesome if it happens. But I was thinking it might be maybe they want me to record a little, some drums on one of their songs or something or maybe it's one of their side projects that they want me to record. I didn't think it was going to be actually the gig. Yep. Just because of being in that music industry for so long, shit like that doesn't often happen. Mm-hmm. And often when someone says it, it doesn't often happen. You know what it's like. It's just... Yep heavily stacked against you normally. Um, so anyway, that was one potential thing. And then there was these things called rapper tags where at the time rappers would record a video that would rap like a freestyle verse and tag another rapper in. And it was a big thing at the time. And my mate who was a videographer who I met through Monster was doing a video for the rapper 360. And he was in contact with me saying, I'm going to try to get you in this 360 clip. I think it'd be sick for you to do a drum thing while he's rapping I've hired like a private jet and all, all this shit. Like I was like, okay, I've got two things potentially going to happen. The 360 thing didn't happen. 
And then I had the one left and I was like, fuck, I hope this happens. I'm so close to just getting in there. (laughs) And um, I remember the phone call, Bliss rang me. Um, Oh, actually before that, he asked me to send some songs. So I recorded the songs to the studio. I got a videographer in to film it. I did four songs instead of three and I kind of played them laid back because my mate told me that Esso, the other guy in Bliss and Esso, didn't want someone too overbearing and to interrupt with things too much. So I kind of played it just as it was, didn't go too crazy, sent the videos off, didn't hear back for like three days. And I was like, shit, they don't like it. They don't like it. Shit. So I went back in, just put a GoPro up, and I recorded another three or four songs uh, of me just kind of playing them how I'd, I'd like to play them. Sent them that, and then they liked them, and then Bliss called me and said, we'd love to have you on the tour. Um, so I still remember what I was doing when, when he called me and whatnot for that. But I guess, you know, I think at the time it was between me and another guy, um, <clears throat> and the other guy didn't record videos or anything like that. So, again, it was just being proactive, mm. you know. <clears throat> proactive mm. always wins. And even – And that's yeah, – Yeah, even, even having that even having that because you, you just – the, the second shot at it with the GoPros, you, mm. you just came with that idea yourself. No, I, I really yeah. want this. I'm going to push this on. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, good. I was like, shit, I've blown it. Because the first round, I, I didn't really play how I'd like to play. I didn't yeah. put that much personality in it or whatever. Um, I just kind of played what was there, what I thought they would like. And I've never even spoken to them about which ones they watched or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, in my head, I was like, shit. You should probably show them another, another way of how you play, mm. um, and I did. And you know, I guess it paid off. Whichever yeah. video they worked, or maybe they got both videos, and they're like, "Geez, this guy's keen. This guy just gets shit done. He's not lazy." Um, or he's, or he's not. He's not going to yeah. leave. He's not going to leave us alone until we give him the gig. So let's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a fine line between um, showing someone that you're keen and you're proactive and you being a bit of a pest and a bit annoying and a bit of a punisher. There's a, there's a fine line there that you've got to, it's an invisible line that you've got to play, um, you know, and it's also there are, they were at that point still are hugely successful. They were about to do a tour. The tour that I was trying out for was like, you know, up to 9,000 people a show Mm. for like their headline show. It was huge. It was a lot of responsibility and, Mm. You know, so obviously it's a prime position. So, you know, I had to have my drumming together. I had to have, yeah. um, I, I guess playing in the other bands they knew helped because they knew that I'd toured and I'd been yeah. in bands that they had played with. They'd played festivals with Behind Crimson Eyes. They obviously knew 28 Days. So I'd, I'd already had that kind of cooking for me. I wasn't just a random that hadn't really played much before. Mm. Did so you it have all kind of helped. Yeah, did you have support of some drum companies and cymbal companies at that stage, or did that that come a little bit later? Because that yeah, maybe I, that, that helped as well. Um, well, the thing that really I, I did have support. Yeah, I had um, mm. I had all the ones I got now. Zildjian, Victor, Thremo. I hadn't, I didn't have Pearl at that point, yeah. um, but I got all of that when I joined BCE because their previous okay. drum had it, and, and BCE yep. hooked me up with it basically. Great, awesome. um, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, what really helped was. Um, I had people that knew Bliss and Esso that had Bliss and Esso's respect. So um, there's a guy, Dave Alice, who was a, 
uh, he worked at Monster as the event manager and he had relationship with Bliss and Esso uh, at that point in time and he was putting a word in for me to Bliss. He's like, yeah, DK's great, reliable, good guy, easy to get along with. So I had that avenue going. The DJ I played with also worked at Monster. He also knew Bliss and their manager at the time and he was putting in a word for me. Right. Um, a big one was that at that point in time, they had a videographer director who was doing all of their film clips. He was working full-time for Bliss and Esso. I knew him through the extreme sports world. He would come to the events and he would film motocross and stuff like that. And he would always see me playing. And because I was theatric with my arms and shit moving around, he would always film me and be like, you look good on mm. camera. Um, you, you know, you're entertaining. So he was then going back to them and saying, you need to get this guy, have a look at this, he's great. So I literally had three people that knew them uh, and and probably the biggest one being the videographer, director guy, Alan Hardy, getting in their ear saying you need this guy, you know, because it all helps because if you don't know them, it's, 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 um, you know, it it just, it really helps when you have an in, someone knows them and they respect that person and, and they, they listen to them a little more. So, I, I had a few ins. Yeah, that's cool. Let's yeah. talk about the the actual technical side of things of playing that gig now. So I've I've got a few yeah. questions. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So do you play do you play to tracks into a click track or is a lot of that sampled stuff coming from the DJ or other yeah. parts on the stage? Great. Yeah, great, great question. So when I initially started, um, it was the DJ controlled all of the tracks. So, so he was using, um, ah, what program does he use? Serato. Serato, I think. I think it's Serato. Right. Now, Serato, what you can do with Serato is the DJ can, when the decks are spinning, one of those decks is the track. The DJ can stop it. He can scratch it. He can move it. So at that point in time, Ableton... Uh, one of the programs you could do that, the other one you couldn't. So he he okay. used like the – it was all about the DJ. So there was no click tracks um, and uh, it was very – it's very difficult mm. to, be, to be honest. So there was no countings, no click track. So I had to listen to the beat and play on top of the beat Um. And that's super challenging to, yeah. to try and to try and not have flams because there's kicks yeah. in the track. I'm kicking at the same time. I had to learn the tracks exactly kind of how they are and then add little bits and pieces here and there. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was extremely, extremely challenging. Like mm. and and her horrifying in terms of um <laughs> coming in early or coming in late or you know, very difficult and and um yeah, I mean that was how we were back then. Yep. Now we've shifted to we have track and click, and the DJ cuts. So he's like an instrument yep. now, as opposed to yep. dropping the That's tracks right. and all that kind of stuff. Because the band, yep. it's, it was, it's as you know, it's it's near impossible to to all come in on the one when there's a break for four bars and the yep. boys rap in, which they speed up and slow down as you naturally do. And then you've got to sit back and count, do your very best to count four bars and then come back in on the one it is yeah. <laughs> oh my, mate. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson in timing but that's that's yeah. how it started and it was it yeah. was uh yeah it was hard mate very hard yeah, yeah that's cool 
Let's talk mm. about your your setup now. And, and I mentioned earlier when we were watching that um, the perfect reason drum solo thing. You got your cymbals mm. really high, and yeah. <clears throat> seeing Travis Barker back in that concert, back to that concert, yep. The way that I mean, he's um, very minimal with the drums that he has. Has his yep. cymbals sort of high and flat. Yep. And you know, most of that is, I, I guess, is 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 for a look. Did mm-hmm. you see that at the time and think, oh? That looks pretty cool. Yeah. And then, you know, once, you know, and then of course you're, you know, you're doing your, the stuff for Monster and you were saying too, it's mm. all about um, not just the performance, but how you look and, you know, the flailing yeah, yeah, yeah. arms and stick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> did you take that exact same approach to the way you had your set up into Bliss and Esso? Yeah. So I played that set up for ages and I had the high symbols and, and, and I liked it because, because it was like that. You'd be playing and, and you'd be forced to kind of like, move yep. a lot, yep. um, which I liked. Um, initially, I took that into Bliss and SO with that kind of setup. So back then, a lot, a lot of their stuff was kind of rocky in a way. So it, was, it wasn't mm-hmm. too far different to what I was already doing. Um, but now, as I've developed, uh, my style's changed a little bit. My tastes have, have, have changed a little bit. And my knowledge has changed a little bit, you know. So, like, mm. now I use a lot of stacked symbols. I use a lot of yep. splashes. I use a lot of little accented symbols, so I'm not yep. too overbearing. Like, if you're playing big 18s and 19s and 20s uh, crashes and stuff, especially in rehearsal rooms and, and stuff, it's just way too much for the hip-hop. Mm. So I use a lot of, like, 16-inch effect symbols, the 14-inch effect symbols. So when you crash them, you still get the, you get the impact of a crash, but it's just... Yeah. It goes really quickly. You know what? I was watching. Sorry, I, I was watching watching the um, drum life videos with my wife last night on our yeah. big TV, going mm. through them, and she was she was asking me about the symbols with the holes in them and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I said, yeah. yeah, gave her a bit of an education on the effect symbols and yeah, you know, why why is he playing those? And and yeah. I said that same thing. I said you get the that impact of the psh, and then it's gone. You know, yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. great, mate. And for like hip hop, like I. I've kind of dove right into that. So I did the big tour with the guys when I started and then I did another tour with them years later on their next album. And the next album was all about stacks and splashes and catching little vocal accents, which I learned off Stevie Cat Jr. who plays for Seth Century. He's such a sick, he's a New Zealand lady, such a yeah. sick drummer. Yeah, I had some ja- yeah, I had some jams with him and he was like, you know, he was showing me what he does and how he catches accents and stuff. And I was like, that's such a sick concept. So I started kind of doing that a lot with Blues and SO and, you know, obviously you can't be too overbearing when you're we're catching vocal accents and little um, uh, licks that the boys are doing. You want mm. it to be subtle on subtle little things. So it's like a, a, a subtle nod to it as opposed to like bashing sure. the shit out of it and kind of ruining it. Um, yeah, so I've moved a lot to that. I might have one big crash at a gig or something like that now and the rest are all pretty much effect symbols. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, now let's um... – Let's talk a little bit about drum life and and mm-hmm. and not not just drum life, but um, the videography that you're into, the audio. Yep. I mean, um, what what is I find really impressive is just the quality of of the videos, yeah, um, audio and and visual that you do. Yep, um, it's got a real. Um, it, it's kind of it's kind of that. It reminds me a little bit of the Jim Jim Carner style oh, yeah. type of yeah, video, yeah yeah, fully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know, it's, to me, it seems like it's on that level of of fully. of visual and 
because um, I love watching those Ken Block car videos, you know. And and then you know, once I was going through and watching your watching your drum videos, it's kind mm. to me it's visually that's it's sick. on a it's on a similar kind of level, you know. It's really yeah, cool. That, so that, that's epic. Yeah. No, so um, when did you start really thinking about? This. The importance of how it's supposed to look, and and because yeah. I know you know going, we we're talking a little bit before about um, you know back in the sort of late mid to late two thousands, there wasn't a lot of sort of drum cover videos and stuff on, and and now mm-hmm. these days there's just so much content, mm. and to me, I know when I'm going through stuff, um, if it doesn't catch me straight away with a good mm-hmm. sound or look, I, I mm. I'm gone. Yeah. So it's got to, it, yeah, and um. How much thought did you have you sort of put into that? Yeah, yeah, good question. So first thing about that, Jim Carner. I actually played drums with a DJ at a Jim Carner event with Ken Block. So really, wow. I'll, I'll, yeah, I might. Yeah. I'll try to find you some photos. But basically, yeah, yeah. there was a, there was a um, there was a stage, right? So we had our. So if you're looking at the front of, I guess the front of the stage, there was drums. Um, DJ and an MC. Is that a monster event? So we were playing on one side. So you watch, we had a massive LED screen behind us. We'll, we would play there a couple of times a day. And then behind that LED wall, you could just walk around. Ken Block's car was there. So right. before he would take off to do his Jim Carner on the racetrack, he would walk from the monster truck through the crowd while we're playing. He'd do a bit of a signing, like he'd get up on stage and sign while we're playing. Then he'd jump in his car, go do his thing, come back, literally pull his car up behind my drum kit and then we'd start playing again. All right, so which car can I ask which car it was? Which car did he uh, I reckon it was a Ford um we're talking oh, mate, we're talking two thousand fifteen, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. Maybe fourteen. Yeah, we're talking okay. a while ago. I reckon it was a Ford oh. Focus or something. something oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um but anyway, so yeah, I was well aware of Jim Carno. Like I love that style of content so anyway yep. I've, I've gotten lost there but sorry I, I threw <laughs> I threw you with the with the what kind yeah. of car question it was uh, yeah well play, you're playing on the stage and, and yep. he would walk through the crowd and yeah 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 so yeah, I mean so yeah. that was cool I was well aware of his stuff like the the epic content he was creating and I, and I was always intrigued that he'd created basically something out of nothing so he was he was in the sense that he was a, a rally car driver and then just with a bit of creativity and a good team and some and some cool concepts, you know, not a bit of creativity, a lot of creativity, he created a whole thing, like a whole online yeah. web series, a phenomenon of this yep. insane content, which in theory is just a car driving around doing skids and stuff. But exactly. it, 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 it's, it's, it's the way it's put together and the epicness of it makes it viral and insanely cool. And then he's turned that in, into an event, which he travels around the world doing. So it's it's, I was definitely around that kind of stuff, which is why it's cool that you've mentioned that because I never really thought about that potentially having an impact on what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's essentially yeah, the, the same kind of thing. It's like we've we've got an epic, an incredible director, Peter John, which is almost the most important thing. Um, we you know work with great sound live sound guys i think that one of the most important things is having live sound on the drum video i think you can go and set your drum kit up on a mountain or whatever but if it's not live it's kind of like what's what is this like what's going on yeah. but 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 if it's live it brings a whole new element of like oh shit they're playing this live and it sounds sick and they're 
frigging on a boat or whatever. It's like yeah. those little one percenters all add up. Um, yeah. But, but sorry, yeah, the, I, yeah. Before, before we go, sorry, interrupt. Before we go, sort of deeper into the nuts and bolts of that. Mm. For the people that don't know, can you can you give a bit of a synopsis of what drum life is? Sure. Just so, so people so, know exactly what what we're talking yeah. about here. So, so basically, it's myself and Frank Zumo from Sun Forty One. We have put together a drum series with our director Peter John, and, and what it is, it's, it's based on the concept is myself and Frank. We travel to a different location in each episode, and we link up with a drummer or drummers uh, around their local town, and it can be anything it could be we could be going to a restaurant with them we could be going to their favorite spot in their city hang out with the drummer and then we play drums generally in some kind of an iconic location um that's pretty much it in a nutshell so it's a show for drum nerds and and not only drum nerds but just people just to watch something cool um but yeah i mean we got four episodes done um we're releasing our second one with adrian young from no doubt this week coming up which i don't know when this comes out but it's like Feb 15 or something. Um, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we're going to try to do more as soon as we can. We've got big plans to get overseas and do more. So that's pretty much what it is. It's just, it's just and Frank's on board with it because same reason you said it's different. It's it's extremely good quality. Um, you know, and, and where it kind of comes from for me is, as you said, everyone's doing drum videos. There's a lot of insanely good drummers out there. I don't really see myself um, competing with like Eric Moore or bloody Sticks Taylor or someone like that. Like they're freaks. There's no point me. I'm not going to stand out in that field. So let's do something a bit creative. Let's do something cool. Let's do something that no one else is doing. Let's turn some heads that way, um, which is kind of where it's come from. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, so I've seen – I've seen three of those episodes. Obviously, the first mm. one's already out. Yeah. Um, the one that's coming out, well, actually, when this is out, when this podcast is out, that this that episode will already, already be out, and it's Adrian Great. Young, and uh, that's cool. I, I I won't give it away. You got to go and watch it. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. So, <laughs> links to all that stuff will be in the show notes of this. Um, and then the third one is uh, your um. You're at the stadium in Melbourne. Yep. And you, yeah, you're playing on those platforms that we were talking about. Yeah. The expensive platforms, and yeah. and you're playing with with um, Ben from Parkway Drive. Yes. So yeah. So I mean, yeah, these are the coolest things I've ever done by far. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so cool. Like that, the Adrian Young episode was mind boggling because I grew up. He was one of my idols growing up. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's yeah. probably one of the most recognised drummers in the last 20 years, like no doubt we're literally one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, yeah. And each of those members, like it, no doubt it's one of those bands where you kind of know what they all look like. You know, there's a few bands exactly. where you kind of know what, what everyone looks like. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's one of those bands. It's like you see me, like, shit, yeah. that's the dude from No Doubt. Um, yeah. So, you know, being able to go and just soak up his vibe and, go to his house and play drums with him and listen to him play drums and kind of become friends with him is, is, um, mm. it's cool, man. It's really cool. And, and, you, uh, and you guys got to play, you and Zumo got to play on a couple of, couple of his sort of iconic drum kits yeah. as well, which he yeah. explains. I won't give it away, but yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So like he went to, he has a warehouse full of drums 
And um, yep. like, you know, I there was three Aussies that rocked up to his house to produce this show. He didn't know any of us. He knows Frank very well, but doesn't know us. And we yep. got there before Frank yep. and, you know, he'd already gone, he, you know, gone to get the drums, brings them back to his house, invites us into his house. We're setting up drums. He's super cool. We meet his family. Um, you know, we're there all day. And it's like mm. he didn't get paid or anything like that. It's just him being a good yeah. dude, giving his, giving his time cool. to us, um, which was so, so cool, man. And he recorded everything, uh, mixed it. He did all of that. So that's what he does now. He does a lot of recording and producing and stuff. Yeah. Um, so he did all of that just for free, just cool dude. Um, and it was it was cool because I um, oh man, I left there just feeling good. I was like, this yeah, this, yeah. this guy's a, he's a living legend, and he's just given up his day for us to. He's he's been nice. He's just been a cool cool as dude, fully given us his time and energy, um, especially for me because I didn't necessarily know him. I was I was pretty blown away by it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good lesson. It was, it was I, I just took away from it that, you know, you want to give to the next lot. Like if there's the young younger buck coming up that's trying to do something and you're in a position where you can kind of help them out, you can they can leverage your name a bit or whatever to to do it because it was it was, he didn't have to do it. And maybe I was like, shit, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Really mm. cool. Yeah, looking forward to seeing Seeing, uh, seeing more. more of those, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's hope hope the cities sort of open up. It, yeah. So, like, um, plans going forward for that, um, you know, due to the international lockdowns and stuff, do you have plans mm. to do some more of those um, episodes within Australia or even New Zealand even? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, mm. we've got a lot of plans. It just depends what we can yeah. do. I, I know that yeah, we've course. got – yeah, I mean, we do. We've got a kind of – we've got a run set out for the next lot of episodes. Um, yep. But, yeah, if we can't do that, I reckon we'll just tweak it and do – just change it and yep. do something, you know. Like there's always yep. a way around things. Um, it, like episode four is like a – Frank's in Los Angeles, I'm in Melbourne, and we kind of bring it together. So that's yeah, – that, right, yeah, right. yeah, you haven't seen that. It's like nah, – nah. Yeah, so I th- I, there's still ways to do it which are creative and cool. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we'll we'll just kind of keep chipping away at it. I think that's cool. Excited. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Let's let's talk about uh, DK Drums, your drum school, and yep. and um, how you started that up, and and mm-hmm. talk about how that sort of been progressing and just yep. yeah. So where did yeah, where okay. did obviously with your your father being an educator, mm-hmm. um, and you were saying he had his content. Mm-hmm. Are you have you sort of taken some of that into your oh, yeah. school, or have you just heaps, created something heaps. new? Oh, okay, yeah, heaps. So, um, uh, I literally taught his course basically, and then I'd tweak it, okay, um, with my own things here and there. I did that for years, probably five or six years. Um, and during COVID, this last lockdown, the, the long lockdown, I've I've rewritten everything. So. There's things in his course which, which were amazing. It's a great course, but there was things that I would have added or would have made it flow a little differently. Um, so I've changed it and I've rewritten the course basically and I've done videos for every exercise. So okay. where I'm at with that right now is if you've got, say you've got 50 sheets of music with each one kind of different topic or different learning, there might be 20 beat examples on each. I've, I've rewritten all of that and I've, 
done a video lesson about the topic, what it is, and then I've done, say, 20 beat examples at two different tempos, done videos to all of that. So I've literally got like 800 videos um, for this course, which I've been talking about doing forever. And, and I was telling my dad back when he was alive, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put your course online. You know, we'll, we'll, it'll be, it'll work really well. It's an epic course. And um, yeah, and I finally like lockdown gave me the time to do it. Cause I would have never had the chance yes. to do it, man. Yeah. Cause it's literally taken me every day for seven or eight months to get this far. I'm nearly kind of done uploading everything and, and having it available. So so that's where it's at right now. I think I'll, I'll be making a lot of kind of moves online with it, I think, is um, is where it's at. And maybe some of the online live lessons to, to coincide with courses and, and things like that. That's kind of where I want to take it because it's just me here uh, and my time's taken up. I'm, I'm full, basically. Um, <clears throat> so the next step, I think, is is bringing it online and just trying to share it with oh, so, you're, so you're saying, because I was going to say, how can people come and study with with dk drums but so you're yeah. you're basically you're filled up all your spots are filled pretty much yeah taking it yeah yeah i've been filled up for a while and i just um i just work so much so i work all day for monster and then i come in here and do yeah tuesdays wednesdays thursdays till late and then i do all day right. saturday and, and most most of the time sunday so yeah. uh it's great uh and i'll continue to teach but i think um bringing it online is a, a good move and everyone, you know, a lot of drummers talk about doing that. But um, when you, mate, when you, oh god, there's so much. I've been, I've been working so hard on it. It's insane. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Just the video, the, yeah, I mean, you, you need, uh, you know, your your video needs to be right. Your audio yep. needs to be right. You know, yep. Yep. talking about so, syncing stuff oh, up. And, oh, mate, it's insane. So do, I went. Do you, and bought, do you, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I, was, I got new cameras. I got new lighting. Right. Um, I've got this space, obviously. Um, and then it's like, how do you talk to camera? You record yourself talking to camera and it's like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Go back. You've got to learn how to talk to camera. You've got to learn yeah. how your lessons work, how it's yeah. like, how are people going to take it in? How does it flow? How do you go from one thing to the next thing? Oh my God. And then the platform itself, how do you upload it? How do you, people access it? Um, yeah. So are you sending are you sending stuff out to friends to test it like to I'm I'm running uh, my students through it now. Are your students right and so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, they're able to come back with some feedback? Uh it's it's more um I'm sending them the lessons. Yeah, I'm I'm sending them the stuff and it's it's working well. The video stuff's a good addition to it cuz it's previously it's just book stuff. So if you don't really know how to read or you forget how to read, you go home and you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't know what it is." But if you have the video with it, you know, it helps when people learn. So I think that's a big part of it. Mm. Very cool. Um, oh, I forgot to ask you earlier about Unwritten Law, which is another yeah band that you're tagging with at the moment. So let's talk a bit about that. Yeah, so uh, at the start of 2020, Unwritten Law came out to Australia and needed a drummer for the tour um, and uh, reached out to myself to, to do that so that was that was a big one mate because unwritten laws my favorite band of all time um oh, is that right? yes cool. san, san diego punk rock um same you know same hometown as unwritten law so as a kid i was bleak 182 unwritten law um and i favored unwritten law and i and i still do listen to unwritten law more than i do 
um, Blink on A. So I, I feel like it's just a little more. The music's more classy. I would say it's 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 um, okay. like the guitarists and stuff have always been really good. Epic songs. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a bit of a full circle moment for me because <clears throat> when I was actually 15, me and my best mate went to see Unwritten Law in Geelong and it was an over 18 gig and we got denied at the door. So we walked out. I actually drew a moustache on my um, – I, I used mum's makeup <laughs> to paint my bum fluff black. And we walked, out, we, walked, yeah, we walked out to the line and the security guards shut us down. And, and anyway, we went out the front and Unwritten Law pulled up in their van and the singer Scott got out and he's like, yeah, I need, I need these guys backstage passes. And he pointed at me and my mate. And we ended up going backstage at this gig. It was Unwritten Law, Sum 41 and Goldfinger, are three bands that I frothed on and, and two of them that I do stuff with now in, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that changed my perspective of bands and stuff as well and it blew my mind because at that point in time, like he was – Still is a living legend, but he was like a god to me when I was fifteen. You know what I mean? Um, so to be able to meet them and, and have that experience, um, and the hospitality, like he, he brought us in under his wing, you know, a couple of underage kids, it was sick. Um, do you, th- so, you yeah. think it was the? Do you think it was the shot of? Did he see maybe the effort that he made to draw <laughs> oh, the mustache? Maybe, <laughs> this, maybe. Guy, this guy's got to get him back. He's he's giving it a shot. Oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's bloody. His mascara's he's got it's sweaty. starting to it's run. Quick, get him inside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that that was that was cool. That was sick. So I I told, I told yeah. him that story. Um, yeah, which is incredible, man. Really. Um, yeah. So that that was all time to to play those songs. Their catalog of songs, like the set list, was from top to bottom, just bangers. Like it was yeah, it was right. cool. That was right. a good learning curve as well because they. They don't play to a click track. They play, they play live and they go off feel. So um, okay. some of their songs aren't really the speed of the album. Some they'll speed the chorus up a bit. Um, you know, they'll drop down like tempo in some of the softer bits. Mm. So that was interesting. That was a cool learning curve because the guitarist Chris was, he's like uh, really onto everything. So like mm-hmm. if I'm playing a song, he'll be like, you know, drop it down a bit, it's a bit slower okay. or bring the tempo up in the chorus. And that was a different learning curve because with 28 Days, those guys are, are cool. I just kind of go haywire and they just follow me. Um, okay. Listen SO is like a click track. Um, you know, this was this was a band where it was there was a lot of feel involved and, and they were pretty big on that. And even like I'd have to watch the singer, Scott, he, he's, he dances with his arms and stuff and <clears> – <throat> he dictates the tempo with just a couple of arm moves. So like we'll be going into a section or out of a section or whatever, and he'll do these kind of moves, which I learned as we went that uh, this is what he wants or, um, or we're in, we're in a soft section and he might, he might do this with the mic and it's like, okay, well, we're about to come back in. So it was right. interesting, you know, playing wise, just playing with a band that kind of rolls like that, um, which is feel based more than anything, yeah. you know, it was cool. Yeah, that's cool. Are you going to have more opportunity to play with those guys or was that just for this? Um, mate, I thought tour? I thought so. I thought that I could see that um, turning out, like, because they're popular in Australia. They always come to Australia, like, once every year or two. I was yeah. kind of thinking that maybe I would have been their Australian drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and they'd get potentially someone else to do the American stuff. They have they have a guy from Strung Out that, that plays for them in America. They do have their original drummer Wade, who still who still plays. Um, but you know they they mix it up a little bit. So yeah, I mean that's what I was thinking would have potentially happened, um, yep. which would have been sick. But we'll see what happens moving forward. See what happens. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that, that's cool. All right. Um, last night I sent you a message. Yep. And I asked you to choose one song, only one song that's had the biggest impact on you. Yep. It's a good question. It was a hard, I wasn't, wasn't sure which angle yeah. to take with that. That's, that's the idea. It gets, gets the people thinking that one. Uh, so don't, don't rush your answer. <laughs> so um, you can you tell, us, tell us what that song is and why it's had that impact. And yeah. um, we'll, we'll play it and then we'll, we'll listen to it. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I've kind of I've spoken about it somewhat already, but it was all all the small things by Blink One Eighty Two. Um, reason being, it was it was one of the first songs I'd ever covered in in a band. So, um, you know, it taught me song structure, taught me how to play in time, taught me how to play with other musicians, um, what a verse, a chorus, a bridge was. Um, it was also, you know, it was. I saw Blink-182 when I was 12 at that concert I spoke mm. about earlier. So, mm. you know, it shaped me in that way. It was one of the reasons why I decided to be a drummer. Um, it was also at that point um, a drum part which was very well constructed for one, well put together. Um, it had a lot of different parts to it, um, which was cool to listen to. It wasn't too over the top, but it was a musical drum part, Um which is kind of the direction that I took, really. I, I love that kind of drumming. Um, mm. Yeah, so I guess, you know, at that point it taught me a lot about music. And, and as I was saying before as well, my dad was was showing my band how it all works. Like he'd figure out the chords, show the guitarists. So it all came kind of back to that, you know, learning how to be in a band and how to put a song together and how to play live. And it was, it was also the first song I ever performed with a band. We played it at our assembly. And um, right. that's 500 kids there and the place bloody erupted. It was the first time I ever played and at the end of it, people go mentally and you're like, oh, shit, this is, this is cool. Like, people liked it. You know what I mean? So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's all of those things, really, this song. That's why it's probably one of the most important, important tracks for me. Cool. All right. Let's, let's have a listen. Let's go. Time slows. 
guess they're leading into the pre-chorus. Yeah. Slows down and then... She left me roses by the stairs. Surprises let me know she cares. Honey's so subtle, but it's very nice. So I will not go. Turn the lights off. Carry me home. So so short too, isn't it? It's a short one. Short, mate. A few things like yeah. that's that snare tone is just popping, crap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you know sick. who? Do you know who who produced that album? I'm, I'm oh, I, I think it was Jerry. Is it Jerry Finn? Okay, let me Google that. Have a, have a sus. Yeah, it's just a well crafted drum part. Like some little tricks in there. Drum sound huge. Nice little feels. Nothing too over the top. Tom parts epic. Great yeah, song, Jerry Finn. Alone. Jerry Finn, yeah. Jer- Jerry Finn, yeah. Very cool. All right, DK, Dan Kirby, man, thanks for spending your Valentine's morning with me. Um, it's been lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's been cool to hang talk to you, man. I've been been wanting to do this for a while, and I'm glad we're doing it. Um, I hope when you get down to Sydney some stage, we can catch up and have a beer and have a, have a yarn in person, and it'd be really cool. Absolutely, man. Now, thanks heaps for um, thanks heaps for having me, mate. I've always, I've seen you pop up all over the. Uh, I think it's Facebook and Instagram. I always see you pop up, pop up in there. So, yes. mate, it's good to um, finally have a good chat to you and yeah, share some old old tales. So, yeah, that's mate, good. I appreciate. Yeah. It. Thanks for having sweet, me. Sweet as good luck with um, drum life and and your school and everything else, all the bands and stuff. And yeah, look forward to uh, continually following your career, man. So it's been cool. awesome. All right, thanks, DK. Thanks, thanks, brother. Appreciate it, Take man. It. Take it easy, man. Cheers, mate. Sweet. See ya.